Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Church. Well, I'm here today because Pastor Mark and Pastor Ty were going to be in Seattle spending time with their family and uh, taking a, a break, and it's a privilege and an honor to be able to give them a break. They chose to come home early, and so that's a real blessing as well. About a week and a half ago, I had an anniversary. So I want to introduce my wife, Sean. It was our 44th. She's still waiting for the medal. I mean, putting up with me is not always easy, although I won't ask you to verify that with her. When we got married on this platform on November 17, 1979, I thought I had married the love of my life. But in retrospect, I had no clue what that meant. I didn't know. 44 years later, I know. And I did. And I'm grateful for that. So. If you get to meet her, if you don't already know her, please do. You're going to like me better when you meet her. (laughs) Just as it's true that Sean is the love of my life, so it is true that Sozo is the church of my life. That day, on March the 20th, 1977, I stood right there and accepted Jesus as my Savior. And then after the service, I walked in. Someone walked me into the back room where next to New Zealand and Australia, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That night I came back and entered into the waters of baptism downstairs. And thanks to Pastor Doug and Pastor Mark, I haven't been kicked out. (laughs) So you are the church of my life. And I'm, over these last few years, have been sensing a stirring of the Holy Spirit and a growing, maturing love for you, individually and corporately. And I look forward to meeting some of you that I've not had the privilege of meeting before. I do appreciate the encouragement at the beginning of our service from Pastor Doug, because I was wrestling with that very dynamic he talked about. The encouragement of the Holy Spirit is to listen first individually. We start from our inside world. You figure that stuff out. 
then we deal with the corporate level. And I believe that what God wants to share today has that double-edged sword. First, it needs to cut me, and then I pray that the Word of God will cut you in a good way. So, I want to start with the beginning by talking about where we're going, our ending. This is my conclusion. And it's a, something that I've been meditating on, praying about for many years. And for many, and I'm talking probably since the early 80s. But it wasn't until about six or seven years ago that the Lord gave me permission to talk freely about it. I've been in the corral. You know, when you are training a wild horse, the cowboy takes the wild horse and in the quiet of the corral breaks it until that horse is rideable, has functionality, has a purpose, has a partnership with the cowboy. So I felt like for many years the Holy Spirit was dealing with me and breaking me and I didn't have an opportunity to share. I just waited upon the Lord. But about six or seven years ago, the Lord said, okay, a friend who is a, a missionary wanted to chat and just catch up. And as I asked the Lord about what to to do, what to share. If there, is there anything, Lord, you want to give this missionary? He said, yeah, tell him. So I did. Okay, how do we do this? Oh, presentation went offline. So how to get it online? Sorry. Another dance break. Go ahead. Talk. <laughs> Help. Okay. God is calling financiers of the Great Commission. I want to talk about the wealth of God today. Not so you get wealthy. Although that may happen. Like when you enter into the waters of baptism, you get wet. But that's not the reason why you go. You go to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection coming out of those waters in newness of life. We get baptized in the Holy Spirit, not so we can speak in tongues, but so that we are endued with power from on high. We pray not because God needs reminding or he somehow needs our management and supervision of how to run the affairs of our lives and the world. We pray so that our hearts are aligned with his heart. We're reminding him, but it's really us that needs the reminding. And so today I'm not talking about personal finance. I'm not talking about how you manage your family budget. 
I'm not discussing how you generate income to support you and your loved ones. I'm talking about the wealth of God to finance the Great Commission. Because I believe, and I've had this conviction for many years, that this house is called to be a financier of the Great Commission in many ways that we have not yet imagined. Now, we have investment clubs and book clubs, and we talk about, yeah, my portfolio is good, or oh man, it's down. But there's coming a day when this place will be a hotbed of spiritual intellectual property on financing the Great Commission. We will learn to partner with the Lord and the Holy Spirit. We will learn to use the economic systems of heaven and bring that to earth. This is not a get rich quick. This is not about how to pad your pockets. I want to share with you a journey the Lord has taken me on through for the last three something decades. What I mean is God wants to raise up people who raise, manage, invest, and spend wealth on behalf of the kingdom of God. Now, I, I know there is the scripture about not serving uh, mammon. I, I know that there is this danger about greed and somehow being able to take scripture and use it for my neighbor and claim it faith. Seeding a Chevrolet to get a Ferrari. I, I want to be really clear about this. I was, over the years, I knew this day was coming and I was kind of nervous because it is easy to misunderstand and misinterpret and apply the word of God for my benefit. This is not that. I'm not talking about that. We receive the Holy Spirit in us for our benefit. We receive the Holy Spirit on us for the benefit of others. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are for others. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is for me. This is about the benefit of others financiers who may not only manage, invest, or raise, manage, invest, and spend personal resources. But I believe God is calling financial management expertise, not learned at Harvard or accounting school, but learned in the school of the Holy Spirit on how the economy of God works, how to apply the currency of heaven. I think I've shared this before, right? The, you know what the currency of heaven is, right? It's the blood of Jesus. Every heavenly transaction occurs because the blood of Jesus was given. And this is the, but wait, there's more. There's, this is a great deal. This is better than Black Friday shopping, heaven style. He, 
gives us his blood and he takes our sin. He gives us his joy because we're giving him our grief, our mourning. There is this expertise and spiritual intelligence about where the, the way the economy of God works so that we can bring heaven on earth for the financing of the Great Commission. So wealth is simply the resources to finance every assignment God gives us, individually and corporately. Plus, having more than enough to help other people finance some of their assignments as well. Am I doing a good job of laying this context? I'm not talking personal finance, although we have wonderful resources to help you. If you need help in that stuff, we've got classes that will be coming in the first half of 2024. Uh, Jeff Jordan, who has done this faithfully for many years and is really good at it, will be again teaching a class on personal finance. If you need that stuff, get help. When we're in trouble in those areas, what we want to do is get closer. If you have a business like uh, we've done recently, that I, I, I practice, and you want spiritual impact, call a few of your brothers or your friends or some of the elders and have them pray for your business. I remember sitting in, in my boardroom with the elders in, in back in the day asking them to pray for my organization. I was the leader, yeah. But I was only trying to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so they did. For about an hour and a half, we prayed. They prayed. They laid hands on me. They gave me scripture. They prophesied. I kept notes. And over the next 13 years, after they left our boardroom, I began to tick off the prophetic word. Oh yeah, open doors, new opportunity. Wow, this can be a resource on earth, a conduit to flow and merge into the economy of the kingdom of God. A few weeks ago I was chatting with Pastor Mark and Pastor Ty about what do you want to accomplish in our giving? What, what are we trying to do? And after a conversation, I summarized what I heard into these three points. The giving in Sozo. This is the Sozo way of giving. We want to give prayerfully. We want to give obediently. We want to give Biblically, that's the framework that God has given, the pattern for sozo. So as you prepare for 2024, we're asking you to just pray. Ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. Holy Spirit, what do you want? And then obey. If he says 10%, then 20% is not obedience. As generous as we want to be, it is more important for us to be obedient. Because he's the great budgeter. Yeah. 
he understands the macroeconomics of the Great Commission. I actually Googled, what is the Great Commission going to cost? And I couldn't find one. And I, I, I've been doing this over the years, trying to see what an economist who knows how to do that might say. What is the dollar value? What I imagine it is in the trillions. And not just one trillion. There's probably 9, 10, 11, 12 digits to the number. So God is waiting for us to ask because he's more than ready to answer. So we want to be a, a community that is even better than we already are. We are a generous people. We're grateful for that. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving to the Lord, giving to this house, and giving to one another. So I want to take you to a portion of scripture that has been the source of my meditation for many years. The Lord has met me in these, these um, addresses. So let's stand. I just want to read a few of these from Exodus. You know the portion of scripture fairly well, I'm assuming, if you've been a student of the word for some time. This is from Exodus chapter 3. So verses 3 and 4. It says, Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. You know the story. It's at the end of his 80th year, 40 years in the backside of the desert. Moses is going to work. He's moving some sheep. And he sees this thing. And he goes to check it out. He takes a break. It's his lunchtime, maybe. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, insert your name. If you, like Moses, are turning aside to see this unusual sight of the Holy Spirit. Move to verse 20 and 21. So I stretched out my hand and I will stretch out my hand. This is God speaking and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he, Pharaoh, will let you go. The promise of liberation. This is God's emancipation promise. Verse 21, I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. Verse 22, but every, my addition, Israelite woman shall ask of her, my addition, Egyptian neighbor, and the woman who lives in her house, articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and your daughters. Thus, you will plunder the Egyptians. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the sacrifice you made in sending your son in order that we might live because he died. 
We ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak with us individually and corporately, regardless of whether it matches what I'm trying to say. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to grip our hearts. Order our footsteps as we walk through your word until we find the heart of the Father for the Son. In Jesus' name. Please turn to somebody near you. Just greet them. Introduce yourself if you don't know them. I'm going to actually fix your microphone real quick. Thank you. <laughs> I, know, I was balancing. All right. God transfers his wealth for his purposes. There are many examples in scripture of transfer of wealth. Many examples. Abram ties to Melchizedek. You may know the story. His cousin Lot gets kidnapped. Abram, upon hearing the news, takes 318 of his servants who were trained in the art of warfare. And they go out to rescue his cousin. With the victory over enemy came an accumulation of spoils. Abram took from the spoils of his victory and tithed a tenth to the high priest of Melchizedek, giving us proof that giving in the Old Testament was not a law issue. Moses came about 300 years and something after Abram, not Abraham, but Abram gave a tithe to Melchizedek. God established in the heart of Abram a desire to give. Now, I don't know how that worked. There was no email back then. No website to check on the latest giving practices of Israel at the day. In fact, there was no Israel. He hadn't been born yet. Of course, we know Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, three men who sought God. And in their pursuit, they became business people. And in their businesses, God overlaid them with supernatural blessing, and they became wealthy. wealth through commerce. And then Abraham had an inheritance for Isaac and then Isaac with Jacob. There are, three, there are four ways of wealth transfer that we can find in the Bible. So the spoils of war, the profitability of commerce, an inheritance, 
Of course, we know Joseph and his story. He interprets a dream for two employees who were in jail. And a couple years later, he interprets the dream of Pharaoh. And in a day, Joseph is promoted to become the financier of Egypt, the most powerful and wealthy country of their day. And for 14 years, he executed a strategic plan given to him by the Holy Spirit. And in those 14 years, they collected the wealth of the world. As they came to purchase food, they used the treasuries of families and nations and transferred it into the hands of Joseph and the nation of Israel. Of course, we know David and Solomon. David accumulated wealth through the spoils of victory, and then kings gave him money, you know, the fourth way. They gave him gifts, expensive ones. He left an inheritance for Solomon, who was able to build the temple of Solomon. We know that baby Jesus receives three wise men and their entourage bearing gifts. Some economists who know how to uh, do a cost analysis of ancient treasury estimated that the value of the gifts given to baby Jesus in the stewardship hands of his mom and dad, Mary and Joseph, somewhere were, was worth between two and nine million dollars. It's what the family likely used to live on for the two years they remained in exile in Egypt. It is probable that the, this poor family used the resources while Joseph started up his carpentry business. And it's likely that there was leftover to at least partially fund the ministry of Jesus. Of course, there are many... There's this thing keeps jumping away from me. So how do I do... Can you help me again? Sorry. <laughs> Another dance break. There, thank you. There are other people of wealth who've received the, the resources of heaven. We know that Paul was a tent maker and Lydia was a seller of purple and Jesus has access to, he had access to transportation he didn't own. That's why he rode a donkey. He had access to real estate. He had access to the upper room, prepare a room, right? I mean, he had, he had access to some of this stuff. What I, what I felt the Lord say is that in this portion of Exodus chapter 3, and I think I read this when I was hosting a few weeks back, but it, I can't escape the point the Holy Spirit is making in my heart, that the day of God's power is coming and that he is observing our response to the obvious, at least obvious in the spirit realm, the obvious actions and intentions of God. He's watching our response. And he's watching for those who, like Moses, leave their 
trajectory to go check it out. I think God is calling this house to a time of seeking the Lord. God is stirring hearts in a way that some of you haven't had in a while. God is calling us to pursue his heart, his mind, and he's waiting for a response. First Chronicles chapter 28. Serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. Two, the, the right brain, left brain stuff of God, the spiritual intelligence. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of thoughts. And here's the promise. If, it's an if-then statement. If you seek him, you will, he will let you find him. He'll let you find him. Proverbs, I love those who love me and those who diligent seek me will find me. Jeremiah 29, you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found of you. Let's say that together. I will be found of you. Again, I will be found of you. One more time. I will be found of you. Some of us need to do that to remind ourselves. The enemy has attempts to give us a lie that, yeah, that might be in the scripture, but that's really not for you. He doesn't mean you. That's for the special people, the favorites. That's a lie. Don't listen to that. Listen to that. Recite it. Lord, when I come to you, I know. I will be found of you means I will find you. There's no question. God has an encounter for you, a burning bush experience that he wants to give you. When we pray, we don't ask for answers. Although sometimes we need answers. The highest form of prayer is to find him. Oops. We want answers, yes. We want healing, yes. We want provision, yes. But even if all those are satisfied, we still want to find him. Let this community, let this house be famous for seeking God to find him. Yeah, we want to understand truth. Yes, we want wisdom to live. But the highest part of our relationship with him is to just find him. To come before his presence and simply have the joy of fellowship. We want to find him. It's in your heart. We're wired that way. That's how we have been designed. Let's dust off the connectors. Seek him with our whole heart until we find him. And then once we find him, keep him.
stay. Don't, bo- don't be an in-and-out kind of guy. I'm going to come into the presence of God. Oh, i got to run. Come in. Oh, wait, uh, sorry. The heart of this congregation is to come in, find him, and stay. What was the name of the worship service we had the last Friday night? Yeah, that. Let this house be famous for that. A people who abide. Moving back to the burning bush. God promises the freedom, the salvation of his people who had been in slavery for somewhere between 133 to 215 years. I don't, people can't agree and I don't know. But it was a long time. And he promised Moses that he would bring freedom. Verse 21, he adds to the promise of liberation by saying, I'm going to grant your people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. And I love this empty-handed stuff. Two parts of the definition of the words that uh, Moses is hearing. To be vainly empty when going forth in an empty condition without an offering. And the inference is that the people of God were empty-handed. God said, no more. When I let my people go, they're not going to go empty-handed. Freedom is not enough. And God promised financial provision for them. Like a good father, he made sure he packed a lunch for the kids. Deuteronomy 15 gives instructions to a master who owns a slave of the Hebrew people. And when the time of slavery, service, was over, the Lord gives that slave owner instructions on how to let him go. Don't just let him go. But he says, verse 13, when you set him free, you shall not send him away empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat. You shall give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. God makes provision. There's also the notion that God gives us an offering that he wants us to give back. He is the source of all we have. All offerings that we have, we give him from our heart. But where did the heart come from? We use worship language. Where did that language come from? We give our desires and emotions, our hopes and dreams. Where does that come from? We put cash in the, the offering box. All of that comes from him. It's the Lord's desire that when we come before him, we are not empty-handed. That we receive the sacrifice just as 
Abram did when he was going to kill his only son Isaac. There he is with the knife up in the hand and the Holy Spirit stopped and hey, put it down. I've provided. And there's a, you know, a ram stuck in the bushes over there. Wouldn't you hunters like to see that one day? <laughs> the other half of the meaning is in reference to an enemy. Those who were my adversaries in vain, without effect, without success, it's a no weapon that's formed against me shall proper kind of meaning. The enemies might roar. They might try to fake you out. But the enemy, in his attack against our lives, against our family, against our finances, against our property, the enemy is empty-handed. And he's not good at hand-to-hand uh, -hand combat. Verse 22, God gives Moses instructions that he later repeats. Every woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house for articles of silver, articles of cloth, uh, gold and clothing. You shall put them on your sons and daughters. Thus you will plunder the Egyptians. Moving into the story. Nine plagues have happened. Infestation of lo lotus and lice and frogs and the water in the river Nile turned to blood. And you know, you know the story. You've watched Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments. Nine of those are done. One left. And God reminds Moses, speak now in the hearing of people that each man asks from his neighbor, each woman from her neighbor, for articles of silver and articles of gold. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Move now to the day of Pentecost. See, understand that the ten plagues weren't just supernatural acts of God. The ten plagues were really mislabeled when we use the word plague. These were ten battles against the gods of Egypt and Jehovah God, the God of Israel. They weren't just natural phenomena. There was battle in the heavenlies. And in all ten, Jehovah reigned. Jehovah overcame the gods who ruled the most influential, the most powerful, the richest nation of the known world at that time. These plagues, remember this please, were really battles for the supremacy of the world. And Jehovah, the Lord God of Israel, won. 
every time. It wasn't even close because those gods were empty-handed. They didn't even bring a knife to a gunfight. They had no defense. So, on the day of Passover, the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses. For they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. Understand the context. On Passover, God gave instructions on how to prepare. If you believed in Jehovah, you sacrificed a lamb. You took the blood and you smeared it on the doorpost and on the lentils of the doorway into your home. And when the angel of death would pass over and he saw the blood that was applied to the home of that occupant, he would pass over. But when he did not find the blood, the protection of the blood of the sacrificed lamb, he entered and killed the firstborn male child. So these Egyptian homes were filled with the wailing of loss, the mourning of an unexpected spiritual defeat and loss of a family member. All of Egypt was resonating with the wailing from Egyptian families. It's those people who were neighbors with the Israelites And part of the miracle on this Passover day was in verse verse 36. The Lord had given the people, the Israelites, favor. The Lord gave the Israelites favor in a time of unexpected, premature death. Some of us have lost loved ones. Unfortunately, some of those were premature and unexpected. In the natural, it's hard for me to imagine someone who has just lost their first son. Oh, I can't even come up with a Jewish name. Neighbor, sister, come. Greatly favored. So happy to see you. You want gold? You want silk? Okay. Let me get my treasure chest. (laughs) Here it is. What else do you want? In one day, the treasury of Egypt was transferred into the hands of Israel. And those slaves who had not earned a single paycheck in one 24-hour period received the biggest paycheck any workforce had ever received in the history of employment. One day. Why? Let Let me finish this thought here. In Genesis... 
the prophet foretold this event. That people would come out and with many possessions. Psalms sung about it. He brought them out with silver and gold. Ezekiel prophesied they would not take wood from the field, gather firewood from the forest, for they will make fires with the weapons. Part of the spoils of victory. They will take spoil of those who despoiled them and seize the plunder of those who plundered them, declares the Lord. With freedom comes provision. With liberation comes resources. The emancipation of an entire nation included the materials for a purpose that God had. Our Passover connections identify with the blood of the Lamb. We enter into the presence of God with the blood of the Lamb. We identify with the overwhelming and complete victory of God over every, every, over every enemy. We identify with those. It is time we identify with the financial provisions that come with his freedom. It's been a source of meditation for me about the mindset that comes from the Holy Spirit as it relates to wealth. When you read in the media, there is often critical states of mind being written about the one percenter. The guy that, you know, the Jeff Bezos of the world and the Elon Musks, those guys who are so filthy rich, a bath will never take care of the dirt. There is this attitude about wealth that I believe God wants to change. I believe God wants to change our relationship with wealth. Not so that we are serving mammon. Not, not that. But there is a tool and a resource. I, I believe God wants to change your attitude about not just wealth in general, but about the people who have them. Yeah. You know, Jesus left the 99 and he went after the one. How many of you on your prayer list, have somebody on that one list. I know, I know the newspapers call them the one percenters. The family wealth, people in our, our own city, our own county, in our own region, who have great wealth. Some of the largest taxpayers on, because they own a lot of property. Who's praying for that guy? Who's praying for the uber, ultra wealthy? Not because we can get their money. No. 
I remember one time I had a friend who said, man, wouldn't it be great if God saved Bill Gates? Then he would be able to give all that money. I said, no, I don't care about his money. What about his soul? Who's praying for him? God wants to readjust the way we think about, we relate to the way we manage, the way we leverage wealth. Yes, Joseph had nice clothes when he made it to the palace, but most of the finances he oversaw, he never owned. The Lord spoke to me about that one day. I was, I was wrestling with this dynamic and the Lord said, most of the wealth you will manage, you will never own. And he told me about Joseph. That wasn't Joseph's money. The treasuries of the world to come and buy the grain that he had overseen storing, securing. He had created the distribution, right? We've talked about this before didn't have Joseph's name on it. So when I'm describing this financier call, I'm not just talking about your bank account and your bank account. I don't believe that any of our bank accounts or all of our bank accounts combined is going to be enough. So the innovation with the Holy Spirit as we partner with him on thinking through the financing of the Great Commission has got to include partnerships. It's got to include an understanding of the financial systems as we have them. Improve them, yeah, maybe. But let's figure out spiritual innovations on how to finance the Great Commission. Sean and I were talking about this this morning. I don't have a lot of testimonies at a macro scale. Understand this. I am not here presenting a vision that needs resourcing today. That's his job. And I'm really glad that he's sitting right here. My desire is to help prepare us for a vision that will need to be resourced a vision in this house for this house and for the world that needs financing. And financing in a way that will outlast your lifetime and mine. Something that is a multi-generational, multi-generational, multi-generational lasting effect until Jesus chooses to come back. We've been around for almost 70 years. Be next year. 1954 is the date of incorporation for the, the structure that this house is operated under. And this house has been the steward of multiple millions. But you combine that all over the almost 70 years. And I'm believing that that is amount is going to pale in comparison 
with the resources that will be needed, the resources that will flow from this place into the fields that are white to harvest. There are people who aren't sitting with us today who will come and they may be people of great wealth. They will see that we have love for one another and they'll begin to trust us. People who have much wealth are wary people. They don't know who to trust. But the Bible already describes that they will know us by our love. There will be people who will walk in here and they'll sit back and they'll watch you interact. They'll listen to your conversation. They'll really watch when you worship in the crazy way you do. (laughs) They'll listen to your prayer language. They'll listen to your worship language. They'll see your expressions. They'll watch the way you take notes and the way you listen and learn and feed off of the messages from our pastor. They'll sit next to you and wait for you to reach out, wondering, is this the place I've been looking for all my life? a place where I can invest so that the thousands that I'll give just because I want to look like one of the sheep turn into tens and hundreds of thousands. And is this a place where a two-comma check can be trusted? You know what a two-comma check is, right? One million, one, comma, zero, zero, zero. Comma, zero, zero, zero. Decimal point, zero, zero. Is this a place where I can write a two-comma check where it doesn't start with a one? Is this a faithful people? There's a reason our currency has in God we... Is this a place I can trust? The U.S. dollar is not the currency of Sozo. Trust is our currency. Can you trust me? Can I trust you? As we together trust the Lord. It's time we identify with the financial provisions that come with this freedom. Some of us will get wet. I've talked to people who are a little embarrassed about the display of wealth in their home. They, they're kind of shy and they downplay the beauty of their home. How nice the car is. That they eat, you know, better food than my pork and beans in Spam. <laughs> is this a safe enough place for them that they can Enjoy the good things of the Lord. 
Why identify? To finance the Great Commission so God can dwell among us in the hearts of more people. If we're going to finance the Great Commission, we want, we expect, we pray for the souls of men, women, young people, and children. Exodus 25, verse 8, as Moses was on the mount receiving the pattern for God on how to build a habitation habitation for his presence. This is a verse that has captured my imagination for a few decades. Moses said, let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. Remember that verse, first the natural, then the spiritual? First the natural. God gave Moses a blueprint, a pattern for building what is called the tabernacle of Moses or the tent of meeting. That natural temple or tabernacle was the precursor for the person Jesus. And it was the precursor for the habitation of God's presence in the hearts and lives in the minds of his people. You are the modern day equivalent of the tabernacle of David or Moses. So when the people of Israel asked their neighbors to give them valuables and they plundered the treasuries of families and the nation, God tells Moses, in order to build this tent, the furnishings, the furniture and the articles, clothes for the priest, you're going to need to issue an invitation. Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. And then he gives them the shopping list. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet material, fine linen, goat hair, ram skin dyed red, purpose skins, acacia, wood, oil, spices, fragrant incense, onyx stones, setting stones. And he repeats the shopping list further down into Exodus 35. When the children of Israel were still in Egypt, remember God's reference to them? They were what? Empty-handed. They had no valuables. Where in the world did these slaves get all this building material, all the treasures, all the valuables? The Lord transferred wealth. It was as if he fired up his laptop and, oh, move money. Uh, There's a lot in that Egypt account. Where should I transfer that to? Oh, I remember. Yeah, I was going to free my people. I'm going to pack their lunch. 
transfer in a day. One day. You know, the Bible says to beware of sudden fear. Beware of sudden fear. Well, beware of sudden wealth. I'm not talking the lottery kind. It won't take a strategic plan. It will simply be because God has a financier's mentality. He owns the cattle on a thousand hill. All those cows, they got his brand on it. God's calling financiers of the Great Commission not as a way to get out of the go ye therefore not as a way for us to get to buy our you know who shall I send card is God calling you to be a financier of the great commission About 30-something years ago, the Lord spoke to me one day. And Deuteronomy 8.18 has become a family verse. It's something that I have passed on to my children. And there are two daughters in love and my, our son-in-law. Three elements of Deuteronomy 8.18. You shall, number one, remember the Lord your God. If we are to become stewards of great wealth, we must always, the first thing we do is to remember the Lord your God. When we come into this place, the first thing we must do is to remember the Lord our God. No amount of success should erase the memory of the Lord our God. No amount of pain no amount of loss, no amount of ego-scratching success should erase the memory of the Lord our God. Remember the Lord your God. Two, for it is He who is giving you power to make wealth. And that power is like an assembly line in a manufacturing plant. The power to create wealth includes your ability to be so success successful as an entrepreneur that you create jobs for other people. And then you pay them a wage that not only keeps them in survival mode, but it serves as a golden as the golden things of your business, golden handcuffs that keep people there, gives them pride that I'm working with people who value my contribution, my part. Golden rocking chair, so that when their future with you is over, they have a future to look forward to. 
and then a golden baton where they can take the valuables that they have invested and saved and leave it for loved ones and things they care about. That kind of power to create wealth. Again, it's a multi-generational impact. The power to have access to transportation like that donkey's owner or real estate and property and building like the guy who owned the upper room. Or tools of commerce, like when jo Jesus told Peter, yeah, we got to pay taxes, so take your boat, go fishing, throw a line, the first fish you catch, take the gold coin out of the mouth and pay the taxes. Now, it doesn't say this, but in using my sanctified imagination, Peter didn't just catch the taxes. Guess what he did with the fish? He took it home, shred cabbage, laid it out on the platter, and he cut up the fillets into sashimi pieces so that they can enjoy the best fresh raw fish. I'm asking Peter about that when I get to see him. There was provision for him. I believe God is releasing the power to make wealth, to create wealth in some of our hands. I'm not going to say all. That's why I appreciate the, the encouragement from Pastor Doug. Listen for the voice of the Lord for your life. Yes, I'm speaking corporately. But one of the things that I was making nervous is that somebody would say, I, I don't relate to that. That's not my heart. Well, being part of the, the army of financiers includes those who are praying for the stewardship, praying for the strategies of heaven on how to invest those resources, praying for better paying customers, more frequent customers, Praying for new doors of opportunity in new communities. Strategic thinking and new ideas and innovations on how to improve processes on saving taxes, or scaling up operations, finding people who either know Christ or need to know Christ as my next employee. But here's the end. We remember the Lord your God is giving us the power to, to create wealth, to make wealth. Why? He wants to confirm his covenant which he swore to our fathers. The covenant of a Messiah to come and save a people who's loved dearly by the Father. There's a covenant that is not satisfied yet. There's a promise of his return that hasn't been met yet. The if-then statement 
to finance the Great Commission will require enough scale to touch every kindred, tribe, tongue, and every nation, every people throughout the ends of the earth. The reason God is calling financiers is because that last part of Deuteronomy 8.18 he wants to confirm his covenant his promise. God doesn't need our money. What he wants is our partnership and participation. So, If the Lord is speaking to you personally about being a financier, and I am speaking into a room that isn't empty-handed with financiers. There are people who have already proven to be faithful in using the five talents, in using the two talents. But we want to enter into the joy of the master, don't we? By being faithful stewarding his resources. We want not only to have five talents turn into ten, not only have two talents turned into four. A doubling of your rate of return in the investment is a wonderful thing. But there's another parable that talks about going from talents to cities. What would it look like if through the faithfulness of this congregation God were to give us cities? What would that look like? What challenge and demands would that pull on us to support the workers in that field and that field and that field simply because we have found a people who want to seek with their whole hearts, the face of God until they find him, and then they abide. What would that look like? Those are the things I fantasize about. How would we help other congregations, other leaders, other workers, other pastors? How do we give from what we have, not just financially, but from the heart, the mindset, the culture established in this place, the way we care for him, the house, and one another. What would that look like? If you are one of those sanctified imaginations and the Lord is speaking to you, I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask your heart to stand. When Moses turned aside and God saw that, God called him, Moses, Moses. And you remember what Moses responded? Moses said, here, 
I am. Here I am. If that's you, you're hearing your name called. And I'm, I'm using the financier in a specific lane. But all the support people, if, if there's a real financier like Joseph, he was in a Lone Ranger job. The support people, you know, like an orthodontist can have an office of 10 support people so that all he does is put your braces in, tighten them up, and pull them out. The support people come around him. So when I'm talking about financiers, I'm talking about not just the Joseph guy. I'm talking about the ecosystem that supports all of the work that came from the vision God gave him. That's the 14-year strategic plan. So if in your heart you're saying, here I am, I just want to pray. This is a holy moment. We're taking off our spiritual shoes on this holy ground. God is calling. He's calling for financiers of the Great Commission. Do you ready? Is, is this okay? Are, are you hearing the Lord? I, 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 one of my prayers is that I use spiritual thoughts with spiritual words in an easy-to-understand way. So if you're saying, here I am, we just want to pray. We want to seal this in Jesus' name. Father, we're so grateful for the voice of the Holy Spirit to speak to us in whatever manner you will. And we hear your call. And we say, here we are. And we say, here I am. Willing. Help us, Holy Spirit, navigate our way through the partnership with heaven and earth so that men might be saved. We submit our mindsets, our attitudes, our philosophies about wealth at the foot of the cross and ask that you would release financial glory in a way that astounds the world and calls attention to those who have not yet made a decision for you. Help us to build a place that you can dwell among us here on earth. We ask for anointing and grace, favor. We ask for the spoils of war, the profits from commerce. We ask for inheritances that we didn't even know we, that existed. And we ask for gifts, large gifts, in Jesus' name. And then we ask for the purity of heart and mind in order to understand how to invest so that the rate of return is measured in souls one. 
We love you. We worship you. We're so grateful. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' name. Thank you for your attention. I appreciate your, your love for the Lord.